Hey, welcome in to Sync Truth Podcast alongside Mike Evans. I am Mark Schlereth, a millennial Ben producing the show. I want to thank our presenting sponsors, great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner, bet with Bet Rivers. Download the app, check them out at betrivers.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? I am good. We are uh, up to championship weekend. Does it feel like the season's gone fast? Um, well, maybe for you, maybe not right, so much. Right, right. No, it always, you know, it's a lot like when I was playing. So for me, calling games every weekend, you know, you get into the, the season, like the first six games, like you're flying. It's so, it, like the excitement, it's new, you know, you're rolling through it. And then after about week six or week seven, you know, it kind of grinds through Thanksgiving. It's a, a bit of a grind, you know, you got to kind of, the uh, the doldrums, you know, the, you, you're getting through them. And then after about Thanksgiving, then it flies again, it rolls as you're making that playoff push. And so, obviously, you get in these playoff games, man. It's, it, it's just – it's fun, man. It's exciting. Um, super wild card weekend, then the divisional round, and now you get to championship Sunday, and championship Sunday is awesome. Like, you know – and you know this is it. This is the only game that matters. This is the, You don't win this game. You don't get to go try to win a world championship. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot like it was when it's playing, man. I've, I've, I've been really excited. It's been great. Biggest storyline of this week has been Patrick Mahomes' ankle. Yes. Everyone wondering about Mahomes' ankle. And, boy, he he gutted it out yeah, he did. last week. But watched him the other day doing his press conference. He was up on a bit of a, mm-hmm. a riser behind a podium. And then when he got done, everybody was able to see him walk away from the podium, down a step, mm-hmm. and out the door. And didn't see any, no walking boot, no real sign of any limp. So, disaster averted for Chiefs Kingdom? Is he fine? I don't think he's fine. I mean, I think, like, having had that high ankle sprain, the mechanism for a high ankle sprain is is when somebody lands on your leg and, you know, you you fall down and it it goes, like, inside twist. You know, you, you, you twist your foot that way. But it really, Mike, is not so much the ankle joint. It's the it's between the two bones. This is how it was explained to me. And so when I was in Washington last game of the season, um, I think it was Tony Casillas for the Atlanta Falcons, fell on my leg. So I'm driving some guy. I'm driving him off the ball on a run play. You know, we're running 40, 50 gut, whatever it is, and driving him off. And then, you know, the the – Running back gets tackled. I'm engaged, and I'm downfield a couple of yards, and that the pile falls on my leg, right? Boom. My ankle kind of twists underneath, and it's it, it, the mechanism is you get that pile on your leg like Patrick Mahomes did. We all remember the play. But the way it was explained to me is the two bones, your what is it, your tibia and your fibula, right? The two bones jam together, and when they release, the connective tissue between the two bones rips. And so now that tissue is off the bone. And literally, it was funny because when I did it, like my ankle really didn't swell that bad. It wasn't a swollen ankle. And I could walk without a limp. I could walk and move around without, it it was no problem. But when I had a rotational force, so think about putting your big toe on the ground and just twisting your foot out a little bit, literally up into your shin, I thought my leg was broken. I literally thought I broke my leg. I mean, it just barely, barely touching it on the ground, barely like scraping it across the grass would bring tears to your eyes. It is one of the most painful injuries I've ever had. And so for me, 
going into, we had the bye week, and um, and I had all wrapped up and stuff for practice, man, and I tried to practice, and it, it, like, it hurt like the dickens, right? But what I ended up doing is, because it was so painful, um, I ended up getting it shot up for the games. So I had, you know, the between the two bones, man, they just stick needle up and down my leg and put all kinds of whatever the Novocaine or a lidocaine or whatever the numbing agent is. But that that it drips, it rolls down into your down your leg and in your foot, and my whole foot would go numb. Um, so by game time, I'm playing the game with no feeling in my foot. It was on my right leg, and um, and I I did that for the divisional round of the playoffs for the. Uh, conference championship. So we beat the Atlanta Falcons in the divisional round, beat the Detroit Lions in the conference championship, beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, and I shot my leg up for the Pro Bowl to play in the Pro Bowl. So it, it's one of those things. It takes weeks. My my leg still hurt um, five weeks later in the off season. So it's it's a vicious injury. And um, here's the thing that that concerns me about the Chiefs, okay? So you can't you, – you never count on, like, off-schedule plays, but the Chiefs can count on seven, eight off-schedule plays that are big plays. There's They have, like, the connection between Patrick Mahomes and especially Travis Kelsey. It's like they went to Hogwarts together, right? I mean, it's magical. And, you know, they could just go, expecto Patronus, and boom, you know, 28-yard play. It just appears. And so now all of a sudden, those those plays you just count on Patrick Holmes making. They miss block, you know, the protection breaks down, nobody's open. He scrambles around and, you know, flips it underhand or throws it left-handed or underhand, you know, like sidearm throw. And all of a sudden, it's a 28-yard, 38-yard, 42-yard big-time play. And ultimately, when you watch them, that happens seven times a weekend, right? And... The way it was explained to me, and you know I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not an analytics guy. Like, I hate analytics. Um, Unless they benefit what I'm talking about. So, like, numbers have never made one tackle. Numbers have never thrown a block. They don't do that. But the way it was explained to me, it was actually explained to me by Robert Sala, head coach of the Jets, back when he was the coordinator for San Francisco. And the importance of eliminating explosives. And they did this big, intensive study on what an explosive essentially means um, from a point standpoint. So each explosive play and how many points are are like are relatable to that explosive play. And so an explosive play is defined as 20-yard pass and a 12-yard run, okay? Every explosive play you give up as a defense has the equivalent of almost three points on the scoreboard. Just one. Just one explosive play. Hmm. Because to put a drive together, scoring drive together, like if you look at how many explosives per scoring drive, like if you if you put a drive together, it's like 8% of the time, if you don't have an explosive play in that drive, it's like 8% of the time you score. It's, it's a really low number, okay? So every explosive play essentially equates to about three points because – to put a scoring drive together, almost inevitably there has to be at least one explosive in that scoring drive. And so they had they had that rated at about, I wanted to say it was around 2.86 points per, per explosive, right? 
So you think about this. If Kansas City re- relies on that as part of their offense, like about seven times a game, if all of a sudden you don't have the mobility, you don't have the the ability to get out of harm's way, and you take that explosive plays down from seven to, to two, you're talking about almost 15 points of offense where you're going to find it. And then ultimately, it's not only you're not making explosive plays, but now you're giving up explosive plays to the defense. You're giving up a sack. You're giving up a throwaway because you didn't have time to get away from the pressure. Like that, to me, those are, are things that are insurmountable. And I cannot believe, I cannot believe that he won't be hampered by that ankle. When the season began, I remember us having the conversation about Mahomes and how would he look? What was what would his numbers be like without Tyreek Hill? How much would it affect him? Oh yeah, and it did affect him to the point where his numbers went up this yeah. year. How 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 crazy is that? If if you look at Mahomes, his percentage completion went up, his passing yards went up over five thousand. He wasn't over five thousand a year ago. He went over five thousand this year, uh-huh. and he went from thirty-seven touchdowns to forty-one touchdowns without Tyreek Hill. Right. Yeah, and and part of that is that everybody gets more involved. Part of that is um part of that is as opposed to forcing a ball to Tyreek Hill, you're letting the scheme get you where you need to go. And and I think those are those are good things. Like Tyreek Hill is one of the most dynamic players in football. He's also, you know, when you talk to defense coordinators, he's also limited in in what he runs. Like when I when I call a Minnesota game, and I watch Justin Jefferson on tape, there is not a route that Justin Jefferson can't run. He'll run the, the lookies. He'll run the quick slants. He'll run the deep overs. He'll run the shallow cross. He'll run the deep digs. He'll run the go balls. He'll run the post ball. He'll run the shake route. Like, there is not a route in the route tree that that guy can't run. Like, he does it all. So, there are no tells. Tyreek Hill runs a deep over and he runs a go ball. <laughs> like that's essentially his route tree. And it's still impossible to defend because he's so freaking fast. But you know, you have a better chance, a better understanding of of what you're actually going to have to defend when you're defending Tyreek Hill. And so there is that aspect of it as well. But yeah, I mean, Mahomes is is an incredible, as we all know, an incredible quarterback. But I'm telling you, this this thing concerns me a bit. I'm watching the Bengals-Bills game, and I'm watching the game in the snow, and I'm watching the Bengals just pound on oh. the Bills on both lines of scrimmage. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, God, Mark must be watching this like it's porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was going into the study and putting a tie on the doorknob. Don't come in here. Don't come in here. I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching the Bengals open a can of whoop ass. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Here's what. Here's what blew me away, and here's where um, I kind of look at at the coaching aspect of this. And so I go back to last year with Zach Taylor and this offense gave up nine sacks in the divisional round of Tennessee, and Joe Burrow getting you know hammered and still being able to win that game. They won that game because Ryan Tannehill just threw it three times to the other team, right? Threw it three times to the Bengals. But to watch the evolution of your head coach go, I can't win that way. So how am I going to 
changed kind of my perspective on football. And like right off the bat, Mike, they come out, they go motion, they empty out the backfield, right? Which you would think, oh, terrible idea, right? Terrible idea to expose three backup offensive linemen to an empty backfield. Joe Burrow, bam, snap, you know, snap the ball, three-step quick, three-step quick game, swing pass. You know, three-step quick game, hitch, hitch. Run the ball, run the ball, bam, hitch game, hitch game. Five-step all out, you know, like five-step thunder, meaning deeper than a little deeper than a hitch. It's just like our Omaha. You just turn around at, at seven yards and you're accepting the ball. So it's a five-stepper, but it's a five-stepper that goes out without a hitch. Like, so, like, to me, what you've done is you've taken the passive out of pass protection. You allowed your guys to attack the line of scrimmage, um, even though it's pass because it's a three-step drop in the game. It's a quick game, and the ball's going to be out. And then you want to push it down the field? What are we going to do? Going to get into, you know, like a uh, uh, like a, a two-tight-end formation. Like, we'll get into west-left, and then we're going to keep our two tight ends in, our five offensive linemen, seven. So our back's going to come out the backside. We're going to turn that way toward the tight ends. Our back's going to lock up the one guy who's one-on-one, the tackle, and he's going to take the outside portion. And then we're going to run a two-man route. That's what we're going to run. We're just running a two-man route. And um, and ultimately, if if you secure that defensive end with the back and with that right tackle, for instance, now we're going to leak him out light, late into the flat. And so now we're completely protected. Our quarterback's completely protected, and we're going to push the ball down the field. So, from a coaching standpoint, they allowed Joe Burrow to not sit back there and have to take it in the teeth. I'll tell you the other thing that impresses me about Joe Burrow. It's very much some of the stuff I've said about um, Tom Brady. And I may – he when Tom Brady finally does retire, I don't think it'll be this year, but when he does retire, my man crush may have to transfer over to Joe Burrow. It may – like, it, it may – I may just kind of transfer it over. Big shoes to fill. Huge shoes to fill, and, and but Joe's handsome, more more like he's not hand, he's not like Brady handsome. <laughs> Who is right? But he's got he's got some cuteness to him, you know. <laughs> like you know, there's there's yeah, there's, there's supermodels, yeah. yeah. there's like supermodels who are yeah. drop dead gorgeous, yeah. and then there are girls who are really perky and cute. Yeah, then it's kind of like uh, you know, eighty sitcom heartthrob type thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. He's more, he's more. You know, there's Cindy Crawford and there's Jennifer Aniston, right? right. Like, the, like, right. right. So he's he's my Jennifer Aniston. So, so uh, you know, but here's what I loved about him: he is the best scrambler in football right now that doesn't leave the pocket. And so, to do that, you have to not only understand protection, but you have to trust it. And how many times have we seen guys? who see color flash and try to escape out the back of the pocket. Ah! And the next thing you know, you take a sack, it's a nine-yard sack, right? You're escaping out of the pocket. There's a rusher, edge rusher that's staying upfield. Bam, he gets you, sacks you nine yards. They gave up one sack in that game. You know what it was for? Minus two. You know why? Because he's climbing the pocket. I can overcome second down and 12. I can't overcome second and 19 virtually impossible so like he has he did a great job how many times did you see him attack the line of scrimmage and all of a sudden you know the cornerback or the the safety kind of stops their feet for a second because they see him going through a gap through a hole and all boom off the sideline it's a 17 yard game bam first down and 
I just watched him do that time and time again against Buffalo. Dude, that dude is yeah, like it reminds me of the South Park episode where Randy was really impressed by some dude's balls and how big they were, so he he ended up I I think so off color. I think he got cancer in his balls and he had to wheel him around in a wheelbarrow. Do you remember the episode? Yes. I mean it was just it just is insanely stupid. But that's how I think of Joe Burrow. He just, just is walking around <laughs> just a big old wheelbarrow full of testicles. <laughs> well, it it, it for whatever reason, whether it's um, the Bengals' success against the Chiefs and Mahomes, Mahomes' injury, uh, players in Cincinnati are openly calling where they're playing this week Burrowhead uh-huh. instead oh, of Arrowhead Burrowhead, because really? of the success that Joe Burrow's had Gosh. at Arrowhead. Who you like? I like the Bengals. Listen, here's the other thing about the Bengals. Like, as we're watching them with – with you know with Jamar Chase right and with Boyd and, and with the receiving core they have and Higgins they're they're incredible right they're awesome um but i go back to what they did how they built their defense like they've built their defense not only through free agency and and getting good players but also the draft so they go out and and they get um Hilton off the edge from Pittsburgh. Great blitzing DB nickelback. Really good player. Uh, Von Bell at the back end. They get Trey Hendrickson to rush the passer. They get DJ Reader to stuff the run. BJ Hill to stuff the run. Draft Logan Wilson out of Wyoming, who's just been a phenomenal middle linebacker for them. They have done such a great job of building that through free agency and, and, and some draft. Like, their defense is vastly underrated. And their defensive coordinator, uh, Lou, whatever his name is, uh, oh, I can't geez. remember. I, I, yeah. Um, Arma. I know. I should. It, it, yeah. It's one of those things that ever soon. Ar- just, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll call him Armageddon. Lou yeah. Armageddon. Because he's just bringing, he's bringing, like, he's just bringing all kinds of intense, you know, bam. Um, so, anyhow, I, like, I think, I think. I think the Cincinnati Bengals, like, I think they're a better football team. Lou Anarumo. Uh, Anarumo. Anarumo. I'm going to have to get a Rumo. Anarumo. Because his defense is playing really good. So, anyhow, I'm, I'm taking the Bengals. They, they, they are. They're, it's Burrowhead. They're not afraid. Nope. They're going into Burrowhead. Over in the NFC, we, we keep waiting for the clock to strike midnight for Brock Purdy. And yet, last week against the Cowboys... Nothing flashy, but he didn't make the big mistake. And when you see the impact that mistakes can make, and you saw it with Dallas and the two Dak interceptions and and how that impacts. It's not always about the quarterback going out and making big plays. Sometimes it's just about avoiding the big mistake. And so far, Purdy's been able to do that. He has, and he also made some big-time plays. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because – the tale of two quarterbacks. You got Dak Prescott, who you're paying a bunch of money to, who did make the mistakes, but he didn't make anything memorable. There was nothing offensively memorable that he did. And yet you can go back in the recesses of your mind and you'll remember two or three throws, especially the one to Kittle that was – like Kittle's not even part of that route combination, right? And he just plays street ball. And Purdy goes back, rolling to his left, finds him across the body, something that, you know, you tell most young quarterbacks, 
don't make that throw, and yet he does, and it's an energizer. I think the other thing that I look at with them in general is, gosh, what they did, what they did, like staying consistent. And in that first half, Dallas's defense dominated them. And they couldn't run the ball. They really had no success doing it. They ate up all their crossing routes, which is where they've made all their money, um, operating off that crossing route, off that wide stretch zone game, off their run game. And Dallas shut it all down. But they stayed with it. They stayed patient. They did not panic. And eventually come third quarter, like Dallas played probably two and a half quarters of exceptional football, but they had no – there was no offensive – firepower on the other side and they had to defend the ball they got you know they turned it over twice so therefore their defense had to defend that many more plays and eventually the Niners wore them down and started running the ball at six seven yards a clip and then next thing you know the crossing routes are there and actually they exchanged those crossing routes they just started running slants instead of running the crossers and Brock Purdy started hitting the slants and you know, and converting first downs and getting extra yardage, and they were always in second down and four, and whether they're running a slant first and then running it in second down and four, or they're running their ball for six yards and then throwing a slant, you know, getting another eight yards on that for another first down. They just started churning first downs and eating up clock and, and putting pressure on Dallas and ultimately winning that football game. Like, that was an incredible, incredible performance. Philly, were you – Wondering at all, concerned, skeptical about Jalen Hurts and how he would play after. Yes. Let's face it, over the last month of the of the season, there wasn't really anything that really just stood out about the way the Eagles were playing. Right. And there were a lot of questions going into sure. the playoffs. Boy, they they, they answered them. Because you liked the Giants a lot. I, I did. You get caught up in some recency bias on both sides, right? Recency bias the way the Giants played. And and I've said this before, and this is not this is not like blasphemous. The Giants are the worst roster in the playoffs. I mean, every guy on their roster was either on the couch or somebody else's practice squad guy that got released. Their number one receiver, Isaiah Hodgins, was you know on Buffalo's practice squad November first. Didn't he didn't play in a game until November twentieth, and he was their go to guy. So like you can be mad at me for it, but it's it's the truth. But, you know, you saw Daniel Jones play really well, and they run the ball with their quarterback and, and Saquon Barkley and the impact that he has. And also the recency bias of, hey, the Philadelphia Eagles down the stretch, I mean, Jalen Hurts played in one game in the last month. He really wasn't very good, blah, 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 blah. And you tend to forget that the Eagles dominated the football season. Like, they are big, strong, quick, athletic. Like, they can... They can dominate you in the downhill run game, the tight zone stuff, the the gap stuff, you know, the duo stuff. Or they can beat you athletically on the edge. They can pin and pull, capture the edge, athletic enough to go attack safeties down the alley, cornerbacks in support, just absolutely eviscerate you in the run game that way. Oh, by the way, their quarterback can run the football, then he can play the play action you know, the RPO game and all that stuff. And, oh, by the way, they've got two big-time primary wide receivers in Devontae, uh, Devontae Smith and also A.J. Brown. Like, we tend, or I, I, I'm i guilty, I tended to look at the last month of the season going, wow, I, I, I had forgotten how exactly the Philadelphia Eagles got there. They're that good. By the way, they led the league in sacks. They also led the league in the most 400-plus-yard outputs on offense. 
And, you know, we tended to forget that. And it, it they got exp- – like, the Giants got exposed for what they were. Like, they're just not as talented. This is a matchup of, to me, the two most talented rosters in football, San Francisco and Philadelphia. That, that's where I was going to go next. So, the AFC championship game, you got two of the best, if not the best, quarterbacks yeah. in the NFL. And in the NFC, you got the two best rosters in the NFL? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's fair. Now, you could argue that Jalen Hurts is one of the you know, Jalen Hurts. I mean what he I know, did this it's almost season. like I'm insulting Hurts right. who is one of your finalists for MVP this year. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, um yeah, but that by like to me, by far, just from a roster construction standpoint, Philadelphia, what they did, you know, trading for AJ Brown, drafting Devontae Smith, um, you know, what they did. I mean, in the middle of the season, they go out and get who they get Andomagan Sue and and uh, oh, they got another uh, Lenvel Joseph, right? I mean, to fortify the defensive line. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're they've got they've probably got the two best cover corners in football. I mean, you think about it, Darius Slay and and James Bradbury. Like when you put those two, that's if you if you were saying, hey, what's the best secondary tandem, the best cornerback tandem. You would say that, and then then you add in um, C.J. Gardner Johnson, or is it C.J. Gardner? Uh, it is C.J. Gardner Johnson, right? The guy they got from the guy they got from um, uh, New Orleans, uh, Chauncey. Yeah, Gardner Johnson. I'm right, correct? Gosh. Just keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah. So, but but he's he's played safety, but he's moved back into the nickelback, and I thought he was yes, C.J. Yes, C.J. Gardner Johnson. Gardner Johnson. I thought, I thought in his time in New Orleans, and they had one of the top defenses in in all of football. I th- and, and how they trade, how they traded for him. I don't know how they got him, but he was to me the linchpin of the New Orleans defense. Even with um, Demario Davis, and even with you know with Cam Jordan, and even with David Anyamata, and even with all the guys they had. That dude was the linchpin. If you have a good nickel guy, because you got to remember, nickel guys have to be able to play zone coverage. They have to be able to match up man to man on your slot receiver. Oh, by the way, they have to play. They have to play the run like a linebacker. So they have to understand their run responsibilities, their run fits, their run gaps, attack guard, all that stuff. Like it's it's to me, it's the hardest position in football, and he's one of the best to do it. And so when you look at that. I mean, they are as talented as it comes on the defensive side of the ball that way. So you like the road team in the AFC? What about this game? I'm going on the road team too. Ooh, okay. Yeah, you, you've 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 been on the 49ers for a long time. Yeah, I li- listen, and and I won't be surprised at all if Philadelphia wins this game. I won't. Um, I probably actually should pick the home team, but there's just there's like it's a it's a strength on strength matchup. It really is, and um, and your ability to run the f- oh, man, like they both run the football exceptionally well. They both marry their play action stuff off the run game exceptionally well. Um, the the biggest advantage I see, the biggest advantage I see, is I think you look at San Francisco. Their linebacking core, the speed, the athleticism, the physicality with which they play, they are 
to me, I look at that linebacking core versus the linebacking core of the Philadelphia Eagles. That's the major difference. Now, obviously, you could look at the two quarterbacks and say Jalen Hurts is a much better quarterback. And, you know, there's some there's probably some Kyle Shanahan bias in this analysis. I'm kind of rooting for the 49ers, and I probably shouldn't be rooting for them, but but I can't help it, man. He was my ball boy. So <laughs> Well, hey, you know. Once you've had a relationship like that, you can never forget it. So that's right. So anyhow, uh, I won't be surprised at all if Philadelphia wins this game. I won't. Vegas basically thinks these games are both pick'em games, so yeah, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna go wrong either one. Which means the way I've been picking in playoffs, guys, go exactly opposite of what I told you. <laughs> hey, for everybody involved in the Stinky Truth podcast, for Mike, I am Mark from Millennial Bim producing the show. We thank you so much for listening. For uh, our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Bet Rivers, Bet with a winner, Bet with Bet Rivers, also stinking good green chili. Make sure you order some for the Super Bowl, right? That green chili uh, over. Smother it over everything. Uh, you're going to absolutely love it. Also, the queso dip as well. Going to love that, too. Hey, for everybody involved in the show, we thank you so much for listening. For Mike, I am Mark. We'll be back with you next week.